If I'm going to endure, I have to know there are things money can't buy. But here are some things that aren't one of them. Champagne, ocelots, and other exotic pets, and sex. Ribbons tied around your wrists or neck. Great long books about libidinal drives. Sushi, property influence, and ancient artifacts. Television networks, scented candles, satin sheets on memory foam mattresses, expensive and drenched with sweat. Tickets to the ballet, roses, and bread too. And everyday life becomes more joyful. Tennis courts, fine cuts of red meat, and a chef to prepare, a maid to serve, a boat. Even a life has a price. But the thing about bodies is that they're soft and inside are bones that break and organs that rot and rot and rot and rot. Slowly but inevitably. And money doesn't stop it. Straight off the bat, that is just a millennial few of my favorite things. By Julie Andrew. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, she even says satin sheets. Satin sheets whisk drenched in sweat. And whiskers on kittens. <laughs> in sweat. Oh my god. Um and she's a fallen nun too. Aren't we all Just, fallen yeah. nuns? Yeah, they are all fallen nuns. I'm a I'm a risen <laughs> nun. I've I've gotten higher, so you're a high priestess. Of the oh feminine mystique, Natty. I know, I just try to maintain it for all of us so that we can keep the incels uh, supplied with wives. Because the government won't do its job. No, it won't. It won't. Because capitalism destroyed the family, and the way you maintain the family is with the feminine mystique of the eternal mother. I think I think that's from Lacan or something. It's like a Lacan-Camille Paglia mashup, kind of, like... Yeah, it's very aesthetic-ish. <laughs> Just kidding, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about. This is, I think, our tribute to Red Scare. We should just do, like, a um, kind of wandering 20-minute open. Yeah, shallow words bring nothing new. Shallow words bring nothing new. It So like Natty, like who are we, and who like what's happening? We're superstructure, and uh, I'm Natalie, Natalie Smith, and I'm I've joined them. They've asked me to join as the co-host, which is fucking awesome. So we got, uh, <laughs> yeah, we got our original OG co-host Max Max Sejo. Beautiful pronunciation. That's his Puerto Rican yeah, side, beautiful. you know. Yeah, sorry about that. Fucking uh pretentious <laughs> and then we have will will uh Bam-an. Bam-an. will be a man uh, and then we have a, a guest today we're so stoked to have molto molto populare who's fucking awesome person on twitter and just like i don't I'm know how do you how do you describe yourself how would you describe yourself tell us um, who you are no, no pressure i guess i'm just another fallen angel of the left you know um <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you so much for having me on guys it's really exciting um i guess like what i what i do on twitter is like 
I guess what we're going to do here, like complain about podcasts, you know, in a really catty manner. And <laughs> That's called critique. Yeah. Just get our gossip on, really. <laughs> such just, a narcissist. Just... <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to be bitchy, like, you know. Yeah. That's actually all we have left in this culture is just like capitalism. That's it. No, that's it. Yeah. And feminism. <laughs> I wanted to circle us back to this poem that we opened with uh, rather mysteriously. Um, does anybody have some some opening thoughts on that poem? I, it seems like money is not going to do anything to prevent us from rotting. What drew me originally to this poem like <laughs> drew me to it is a funny way of saying it but um, I what, felt what, really what, drawn what... to that <laughs> yeah. I, like... I fell into this poem <laughs> yeah. yeah no it's like the softness I like the softness of the body <laughs> oh my God. All right. so it's a poem from the movie the softness of bodies we should say it is a poem from, from the movie co-written by Dasha Nekrasova co-host of Red Scare um, sort of the penultimate moment of the film. And the film is about that she's a poet. I'm a, I'm a poet. That's, that's the line. Like, that's literally the line. Um, yeah. The context, like, we've really, like, delved into the Red Scare universe in the past couple of weeks. And so we've really, like, taken on, we've taken on a lot, and it's been a reflexive, exploratory exercise for me, personally. And I think that I've learned some stuff about myself. And basically, um, the reason that we want to talk about this is because there's a little bit of Dasha inside all of us, I think. Or at least me and Max particularly yeah. think. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, de- I definitely see it in you and Max. Um. <laughs> okay, what are we, right? So we're a left MMT podcast called Superstructure. And that means that we believe that money is a central medium for facilitating the social reproduction process and rearticulating it through particular nodes of agency. And um, the vision that Dasha is drawing and the picture that she's painting, um, the visuals that she's sort of cultivating in this poem, which I have to say is one part like kind of cliche but another part i kind of like really kind of get how bought into it he she loves is. Like, the she poem really guys seriously. we're announcing right. it here um, <laughs> and um i i i really like it's really important to say that what dasha is spelling out is this sense that um money not only functions under capitalism as this sort of facilitation of gratuitous bourgeois consumption but and so in this imaginary that's that's what it does but crucially that illusion that uh that sort of false consciousness if you will is only a distraction from all the hurt that happens behind the scenes because it is a false consciousness consciousness and because it's never enough to stop them from hurting me um and i i find 
not only that like this sort of nihilistic vision about money uh incorrect for a myriad reasons that i think should perhaps be clear and can we can maybe work to spell out throughout the rest of this episode but also for the fact that it's literally a dead end right like that's it's a it's a rotting i have i admit i have a death drive Yeah, right. I mean, life life is a death drive, right? For that's, that's what we say in in Delusian in Delusian Catholic Mass. <laughs> so money money can't save us, right? And and I think like it's obviously very on the nose, and there's yeah. not much with Red Scare that is uh, subtle yep. <laughs> to put it one way. But um, but the, I think we want to sort of like explore this question from from like this framing of like okay there's this view that is really popular and prevalent that like money can't save us um and so what is what happens when we see that view to its conclusion and what are perhaps some alternatives and so moving on from there um i thought it would be fun for all of us to uh maybe recount some of the shenanigans if you will that uh went down this last week as we were researching um uh this episode (laughs) wow we are very dutiful we believe in due diligence because we are thrown into thomistic legality so we we believe in due diligence to the never do your due diligence in public that's what i learned this week (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) Uh, yeah i mean it was i guess i guess i'll start because i was the one who got quote tweeted with a thousand point one likes by brace belden will you got wrecked i did I, i got owned I got, yeah, cucked. it was, cucked. I got thoroughly yeah, you got, you cucked. Got cucked. He got absolutely cucked by the True and On fan base. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. <laughs> to, to sum up this worldview, I mean, it's very Nietzschean, right? It's like a, you know, kind of nothing matters sort of thing. But the idea and why they say that money doesn't change anything in that poem is that nothing can change anything. We're falling into a world where our existence hurts people. Um, inherently and what we do with media then media is not creation uh, just like money is not creation right it can do a bunch of bullshit like you know buy all of the you know all of our favorite things right and it can it can give us kind of a temporary fleeting high but it can't actually change the material reality of pain and suffering that we're all falling into and so then the upshot of that worldview for them is that the purpose of media and the purpose of Twitter and the purpose of their podcast and their movies is really just to just to express this and to kind of perform a sort of irony in expressing it because if you if you genuinely express your pain like oh I'm hurt like I've been oppressed in x or y way they will jump down your throat and say that you're you're not supposed to give voice to those feelings because that's narcissistic because we're all feeling that because we're all fallen. So all that's really left to do is just like, I'm going to show you how fucked up the world is by being super fucked up myself. And it's ironic. And if you don't get the joke, you're a pussy and a cuck. So then, you know, we have 
hundreds of Truanon listeners acknowledging that Truanon and Red Scare are not the same podcast, but very overlapping communities, I yeah. think, and definitely in terms of the quality of the replies. <laughs> it's like Batman and Superman, like, you know, it's ju- the Justice League altogether. Well, they do. Well, it is because they like, that's the tragedy to them, right? They say the tragedy of our time is that, um, you know, we're completely uh, trapped within where we are, right? Like, there's no reform possible, nor revolution, uh, and you can't have money in either of those, and your body, your soft, soft body will uh, will <laughs> always be impure under any horizon, uh, and money's just a part of that impossibility, and it's like, so all that's left is to, like, ironically withdraw into... Uh, tragic individuated particulars who know their supposed own tragedy and the impossibility of reform or revolution or money or anything that is ever ethical or any kind of ethical being together. So they exculpate in that way. They say, well, we have to withdraw to this individuated particular, which is um, the family, which is where we have the bubble from all social relation, all production, all law somehow magically because all of that world is inherently fallen there's no possible horizon ever or tool of governance possible so any and everything is just passive consumption then so like everything's just like kind of in that way of like some parts of the situation is right like you're just thrown into this oppressive psychogeography from which you can't escape and then it's just like yeah there's all this neurosis that comes from not being willing to have paths forward that aren't red brown depression about lack of social democracy. Yeah, it's worth saying like they're not they they have that like you know there's no ethical consumption under capitalism vibe, but they aren't by any means anti-capitalist. Like mm-hmm. and I think that that's like one of the ways that they are able to kind of like cover their nihilism as like kind of aesthetic nods to leftism or like I don't know like statist communism and stuff which I'm sure they really do believe because as Anna said like women want a strong state and a strong man Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. but same thing yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what I say constantly yeah it's the univocal phallus I'm always it's saying just that. this one phallus yeah. manifest in different ways so it's um it's kind of reactionary as well just in like the most literal sense of the term it's not it's not a critique of capitalism it's just like a reaction against it and yeah I think uh like what Will said is right they're performing basically like a satire of their own pain as a way to not show any real kind of vulnerability and the only vulnerability they do show is just playing to an audience of incels and weird 50-year-old men. You can um, just say Steve Bannon. Yeah. <laughs> and and like mentoring young queer women, which is I'm really glad that yeah. they are uh, teaching the younger generations of uh, women and queer women that uh, yeah. actually your future is full of pain. You kind of deserve it. Yeah. Uh, we should just be depressed together <laughs> and laugh about it. That's adulthood. You know, I'm like the same age as Anna, and uh, I wouldn't feel so good about it if all I was giving this message to a bunch of 20-year-old women. I mean, I think she thinks she's like a mentor as opposed to on their level, furthermore. But I would say she's... 
yeah. I mean, it's completely juvenile, but at the same time, it's not taking any kind of responsibility for wanting to like have a nurturing relationship to people. Like Dasha actually has a really huge capacity for empathy. I read <laughs> actual quote from Dasha. That's why we need the middle class. Literally, the middle class is yeah not a fascist concept. <laughs> em- empathy can't stop you from rotting though and, that, and that's important yeah it just makes you rot more actually yeah um, yeah wasting it's, time it's a bacteria oh. <laughs> you could be yeah. spreading your seed and instead you're having feelings and crying. <laughs> i only cry at midnight mass <laughs> i only cry when daddy lets me um. laconian mass i love laconian friday night mass <laughs> But yeah, I, I think that we don't really want to make this about Red Scare per se, because we're talking about symptoms of underlying logics that, you know, we're talking about the, the Red Scare symptoms today. Um, <laughs> but it really is, it's the same sort of zero-sum nihilistic worldview where, you know, nothing can actually be created. We can only redistribute things and there's not enough fundamentally um and so yeah i mean today we are going to be talking about red scare but just to flag for listeners that we don't actually want to make this catty to quote a hater online we have to quote haters every every episode we quote we have a hater hater of the week okay i'll just say it it was shuja hater um I'll say it. I'll always say which hater. Maluko, maluko. Um, <laughs> but yeah i like so you know we spent a lot of time watching Dasha's movies and listening to Red Scare so we we are gonna have a little bit of therapy but it's it's not just that because ultimately like this is like really sad and it's sad in the same way that the incel stuff is sad you know like you know these forums where people are just ironically putting each other down and inflicting pain and suffering on each other like that is what Red Scare is but it's also just it's like a much broader media register. Having said all of that, to add a little bit of color to the story, add some color to the report, um, we want to talk a little bit about who Red Scare is, who are Anna and Dasha. One one thing I wanted to note before we get to the write-ups is I actually wanted to like flag a good tweet, which I know a good post. I'm um, still rotting. It's Max. a very rare thing. Just keep rotting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're going to keep rotting, Will. Just um, rotting. But, <laughs> and rot. And ro- <laughs> anyway, uh, so this good post was by a uh, friend of the show. Uh, that was a big question mark. Uh, but Friend of the show. <laughs> but Daniel Besner, the historian at the University of Washington, um, tweeted about podcasts and like was talking about how podcasts themselves are form a sort of subculture and like a counterculture on the left and um one point that i wanted to draw out too because like on that sort of like catty comment people ask why are we talking about podcasts who cares right podcasts are just something to listen to as you're i don't know walking your dog or going for a jog but Uh, you might just die on the way (laughs) maybe they'll find you listening to my podcast and your earbud as the <laughs> as the life drains out of your rotting body. 
That's ironic. Money can never save and you. Like, just gonna use the R word like reified like over and over again. I reified oh. daddy. Oops, I did it again. <laughs> We're just expected to think that podcasts are just void fillers, essentially. Well, podcasts are superstructure, right? Like literally like that's literally the basis of this argument but if you take seriously what i think dan besner was grasping at without possibly fully articulating it's that podcasts are a sort of aesthetic counterculture right and what do we know like about the history of counterculture and the left uh these things are incredibly intertwined and their destinies are often shared because Aesthetics are not superfluous, uh, inflationary expression, right? Aesthetics form and mold logics and ideas and ways of seeing the world, whether it's phenomenologically or literally at the level of what things, like what possibilities are being signified, what, what we can imagine um, and, and where the bounds of that, those, that, those imaginations uh, fall and how open they are and what sort of world we want to create. Um, there's a lot of stuff in like science fiction literature to put on my literature professor hat again. Um, and what does that hat look like? Uh, it is actually, <laughs> yeah, it's actually just the plant that is sits on my head right now. Oh, um, so it's the PMC, that, the PMC hat. What, what was it? The princess max, the princess max's charisma hat. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, grad students, <laughs> grad students love me. <laughs> um, and so like, you know, we, we can think about podcast as like an aesthetic imaginary. And that, you know, like, I, I think we mean that, like, really earnestly. Mm-hmm. And that's why not only do we have a podcast, um, but also why we think about, like, the relationship between Chapo and Bernie and and uh, Jacobin and, like, all of these so-called signifying mediums are crucially important to how the left molds itself and, and creates itself and thinks of itself going into the future. And so we want to take Red Scare extremely seriously as an aesthetic and critical matter, be just as much as you would take a modernist painting or a work of cinema or a... Uh, a typical grad student. <laughs> or a... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not typical, man. <laughs> um, or... <laughs> Sorry. What are, what are its tensions? What are its pleasures? Just kidding. There are none. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like, or like a political speech. Because ultimately that's what this is. It's like uh, a sort of becoming or, or a speaking, uh, a sort of vision of, of the world um, out to listeners and to subjects. And this is... Uh, a crucial matter for subjectivity formation. And like, this is like a sort of basic Frankfurt school um, realization. And I think it's one that we share, but we want to foreground the monetary element of all of it as a sort of meta medium for, you know, thinking about Patreon and all of the ways we fund these sorts of things and how we can fund a better future. And so from there, like, let's talk about the podcast. What is Red Scare? Who are they? As Will said. I think this is like related to what you just said. Like they are an expression of like neoliberal nihilism. They're both um, Eastern European first generation migrants, I believe. And Dash's parents are Belarusian acrobats 
and I think Anna comes from a, a kind of like academic family background well yeah you have you have the 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 west coast dasha's got like the belarusian acrobats and then anna's yeah like her dad i looked on wikipedia so i know things uh her her, her dad was like a soviet ex-soviet mathematician and then he was like a i think and like a prof at rutgers and i think she's like armenian jewish russian something like that because she said she said like russian parenting my dad said i was just uh this was when she's talking to one of the wines the the portal with weinstein and she's like uh mm-hmm. you know my family survived genocide on both sides and now i'm a podcaster in brooklyn i'm nothing basically my that's like what my father taught me russian parenting anyway sorry tangent. oh yeah what but, was um, that, um <laughs> you were just a little speck of dust floating on this earth anna it was something was, like that yeah. or on a cloud or just a little floating yeah, signifier yeah. no but i interrupted before i interrupted with but like they're very like post-soviet first gen immigrant yeah 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 and they kind of like fit between that like that the, the capitalist and the soviet world in like a really interesting way like the things that they choose to like critique about russia compared to like the things they choose to critique about the u.s totally. they claim that their russian sensibility is a very defining feature of their podcast and what brought them together um to quote dasher i think that there is something inherent in russianness where it's less attuned to duality. Like, Russians are more comfortable speaking generally in a gray area. And when it comes to thinking critically, that's something that Americans aren't quite as good at. Um, and then she and then she goes on to talk about the modern infatuation with consent. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. Yeah, Con- consent is such black and white thinking. <laughs> don't, don't they know we're fallen into modernity and nobody can consent to anything? And you're like a narcissist for bringing it up. I actually, she actually does say the infatuation with consent is a good example of something yeah. that is oh very black God. and white. Jesus like, Christ. I feel like we, Will and I, I, like, we talked about this on an earlier episode, but, like, you can't, like, thinking about i think we were talking about we were talking about property it was on our our uh reading jacobin from the left episode Mm -hmm. um where like in modernity you can't consent to being in property relations and therefore consent is like impossible like it's literally as a metaphysical matter impossible because you don't have agency at this sort of like primordial level which is obviously like like a false false story right yeah um because we're always in social relations. And so like we're going to get to Nietzsche more like literally later, but like it's just like a perfect example of like re- reify culture, you know, um, there's American and then there's Russian. Yeah. And then establish complete and full non-agency out of that reification. And like they just keep looping through this like modern trauma loop over and over and over again at every single level of like individual abuse to this sort of like macro analytical uh, structure. It's almost like this 90s space, like, you know, like Anna will be like, I'm just so Russian. And then she'll, I don't know, quote Baudrillard. Yeah. <laughs> or no, not Baudrillard. I want to say, not Baudrillard. I mean, or I actually meant that works too, but I meant, uh, shoot, what's the guy who wrote uh, those uh, with like Pat uh, Patrick Bateman? What's oh, Brett Easton Ellis. Brett Easton yeah, Ellis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She'll be like, I'm so yeah. Russian. Like, let me give you a Brett Easton Ellis quote. And you're like, wait, that's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like this weird kind of like post Soviet malaise that's like nostalgic for the Soviet moment and like. You know, there was programs for people like Anna's father to be, I don't know, a mathematician. And then there was like some 
capacitation of people to do things and then there's you know immigration and then also like the wasteland of those places their parents immigrated from in this kind of libertarian post-soviet moment but it's so but but also remembering the authoritarianism of the soviet moment right where you have these conflicted feelings today right where the right wing in russia is like we like stalin well from the left i think yeah <laughs> you know? it's like it's all very complex and mixed up yeah for real i think it's like on there are those screenshots on the internet like i don't know their legitimacy of like apparently anna's old myspace profile where she describes herself as i think the love child of Camille Pavia and Ayn Rand. That's just like, she's so... just trying to be difficult. <laughs> but also true. <laughs> but like, like the worst two, just trying to be yeah. provocative. I mean, she also does totally think um, that, but it's like, give me a break. Shut up. <laughs> I am the love child of Camille Paglia and fuckface McGee. Like, fuck <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like that being thrown into despair. I mean, you're you're really um, yeah. We're just thrown into despair, yeah. Because of capitalism, you're really hitting the like nail this. on the head with it being the post-Soviet moment. Because that's like, like, what does Red Scare want? They want a return to the Soviet Union or something like that. But they also kind of want that ironically because they know that that just turns into capitalism, right? Yeah, like. They want social democracy, but ultimately that's not even going to help them, right? Yeah. Because money can't stop us from rotting and rotting and rotting. You'll always lose. Like, it's the natural gravity of life. Yeah. yeah. No no, no ethical health care under, under capitalism. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Giorgio Agamben, get out. Like, you follow me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> so I I didn't because this is the one part of like self-care that I did in this process, which was very minimal. But I didn't listen to this episode on to- toxic masculinity that they did. But I know you three did. Um, so how are you doing? Is everything OK? And after that, can can maybe uh, you all like spell out what like specific arguments and maybe like, you know, paint a portrait or maybe use your poetry yeah. to talk about like what are, what arguments do they make on on this podcast it really was like i think if we were going to pick one episode to listen to together um i think we picked the perfect one this is basically just like their kind of jordan peterson moment the sum up like was i think dash's quote which is life would be a lot easier if women just acted like women and men just acted like men jesus um yeah that that basically sums up the entire episode. I have my eternal mother and I have my eternal father and we just keep remaking eternal mothers and fathers within the church. Yeah. Sorry, I got depressed just from that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all had to have a, a like a drink when we listened to this episode because we just knew it was going to be difficult. <laughs> it it was really depressing and I mean one so one of the themes that came up a lot why can't men be men and women be women the ideal masculinity for them is like violent and abusive like they're calling it toxic masculinity in order to kind of ironically say like no this is good men should be more toxic which is you know classic red scare move yeah as we talked about in the reading of the daddy issues essay in a previous episode from amber lou frost 
because we are fallen into survival world, right, and the family is our boat, we can't rock the boat because that is selfish. Uh, and yeah. so ultimately, we're dealing with scarcity. You're going to get hurt. I'm going to get hurt. But don't call it abusive because that's just narcissistic because we're fallen into a world where everybody's being abused. You think you're being abused? I'm being abused too. It's abusive. It's abusive to call out abuse. Yeah. I mean, they accuse like liberal feminists of kind of like leveraging their like own trauma and victimhood and manipulative ways for political gains, except it's really worth noting that they do exactly the same thing, just in a different way. Like I, one of like Anna's tweets was like, I don't know about you guys, but I just want to get as spiritually far away from my sexual assault as possible, i.e. shut the fuck up about it. Mm -hmm. Sluttiness is not spiritual. It's like, it's a very masculine thing as well as like, oh, you expressing vulnerability is disturbing my peace that I've made with that or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, can we talk about the Gillette thing? It's so funny. Like people thought like probably some woke people wanted them to have trans men in that commercial which is so funny <laughs> yeah Tran and then they make a joke the joke like oh trans people shave a lot it's like what the fuck is your problem what the fuck yeah. is that kind yeah. of thing to say <laughs> the gillette commercial um was in the super bowl last year and the commercial is a man whose other male friend is catcalling and he's like hey knock it off and so that's how they open this episode is just by berating everybody who made the commercial for being and, and they use the word cucked like the other word that they used a lot is self-flagellating right that it's masculinity apologizing for its own existence that's a woman's job <laughs> yeah only women can self-flagellate like that's that's literally what this podcast is is it self-flagellating because that's cool you don't want to be sexless and goody two-shoes and shrill like AOC, which according to them is like some, I'm sure is sort of a goody two-shoes or nerdy, but it's like they want to have this depressed sexuality because that's the only one you can have. Yeah. I don't know. Their relationship to that is very complex because the way they project onto other people's sense of, of libidinal fun is really interesting because they live in this world where... It's like they're the only ones having libidinal fun, but also the only ones not having fun. I don't know. Like, I don't... No, they, they use the word libidinal so <laughs> Yeah, I guess it just, like, got implanted into my brain. Sorry about that. I mean, that's what happens when you when you read Lacan, like, once. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of self-flagellation, I think that would be, like, a good time to read this quote from the Faith interview <laughs> from Anna, where the interviewer says, what's one of the funniest things you've read that somebody has written about you online? And the is literally um one of the first criticisms that i read that i really love is that i look like mr bean pulled through a taffy puller which is really accurate and hilarious <laughs> like, yeah that's not self-flagellating no that's not self-flagellating at all you're not russian enough <laughs> you're not russian enough to get it so i think this is a good time because i uh, as i'm listening and learning honestly about <laughs> Uh, the, more so about sorry, the Red Max. Scare universe. No, it's okay. I uh, I can feel all of your <laughs> uh, suffering and pain. So, um, <laughs> so I just have a really a, a huge capacity for empathy. Um, <laughs> um, I wanted to do a little Hegel rant because it, it wouldn't be super structure if 
if I if I didn't. Um, Max talks about Hegel is too long for a podcast name. So. Hegel versus yeah. Seichel, is... part four, you know. <laughs> Hegel versus Seichel, Hegel, you know. <laughs> Seichel, Hegel, part five. <laughs> I, I fucking love it. Oh my god, that's so good. <laughs> so, in the like Hegelian worldview, which like I might like provocatively suggest is one that literally is like the whole left, no matter who you are. Um, and also like the right too, because that's how right, like that's how that's how Hegel went right, right that's and left. modernity. That's modernity. Um, and obviously you can trace it back to like you know, mm, God, those <laughs> fucking Cartesians. Anyway, we've been through this. Uh, Natty likes to make fun of me on Twitter about Descartes. That um, is but, private. No, I'm just kidding. But um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I let that one out of. Uh, uh, I really think, like, thinking with how, and, you know, we're going to read from Nietzsche a little later on, but as a sort of, like, precursor, I I want to think with how, like, Red Scare and their aesthetic imaginary and their theoretical apparatus uh, thinks of themselves and it, within this sort of, like, subject-object schema um, that Hegel offers and and to dig a little bit deeper into it and his theory of contradiction um there is the which i've talked about on this podcast but i'll rehash a little bit there's this sense of like being for itself um which itself breaks down into the dialectical contradiction but there's there's also this sort of you know at this scale there's being for itself and being for others and um this can be mapped and dilated up and down the sort of apparatus from particular as universal all the way up uh, throughout what we call like the totality. And, but it's profoundly gendered. And so what is premised on this is that being for others, right? This, this position of objectivity is that of a lack. It's negativity. It's a, it's a vacuum. Uh, in like a magnetic sense or even in like if we're thinking with like air being present or or absent uh, in in space in like a Newtonian or gravitational sense um, and what is being for others right it's the position of being a woman in modernity right this reified structure of I serve this function as a lack whether lack whether it's literally like as a lack in the reproductive process or the pleasure like process of heterosexual sex that uh, these uh, these podcasters are so obsessed with talking about the sort of libidinal relations of phallus and lack, or it's being subject to governance and this univocal state, which functions and speaks with one voice as this Again, right? Phallus, like daddy and state, as as Anna suggested. And if we go up and down the Hegelian schema of contradiction, the play of positive and negative negativity in the synthesis is what in a in a more reactionary mold is like what child rearing is and what the nuclear family produces and what gendered opposition in a reified sense conditions. And so, of course, they're going to attack trans people. You know why? Because trans people are analogical to these reified structures of gender. Yeah. And that is 
it needs to be excluded and completely suppressed because there's no space for it in the theoretical schema. Um, and, and so from that perspective, they embody fully, literally as their rotting bodies, um, this object, the, the object in the full structure of the way they view the world in this like modern story of alienated subjectivity, which, you know, as, as Marx and Engels sort of do in the German ideology, right. Which just gets cut off. And then all social relations become matters of intercourse, material intercourse. And that that's literally quoting uh, from Marx here. Yeah. And the so word, the word that's what they're playing. Yeah, that out. jumped out at me. Yeah. <laughs> the word yeah. intercourse is, I mean, so obviously, you know, there's intercourse, sex, haha. I don't. How dare you? <laughs> that's private. Um, <laughs> what does intercourse imply, right? Like it's an intersection of two courses, mm -hmm. right? It's like two separate individuated wills. Sliding, sliding doors about you, two wills. <laughs> and you're like, I hate it already. Stop making jokes about will. <laughs> so like in modernity, we're all fallen into the sliding doors plot with everybody, right? <laughs> like we're all these individuated beings crossing paths with each other. And so then the task of socialism really, because before we're being for others and we have to kind of recuperate being for ourselves by being for a collective self as the working class. But dialectically. <laughs> <laughs> My contradictions are on purpose. Um, <laughs> that then becomes the basis, like if you're Gramsci, right, it becomes the basis for the formation of organic intellectuals, right, that there's like an objective kind of material intercourse between people that's happening that thoughts just kind of bubble up from naturally fucking in the factory right <laughs> yeah <laughs> fucking in the factory um well intercourse between men marx didn't approve of that. unless there's tools involved actually um <laughs> women are means of production for marx <laughs> i mean I mean, that's not that's, wrong. Yeah, that's I know. not like false, right? <laughs> no, yeah. Oh, you guys, you guys, you're misbehaving. Um. You're destroying furniture again, William. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So while while you three suffered through podcasts hell, learning about how uh, men need to catcall more, um, it was not always hell. I have some deranged sides of me that needs to learn about people. So I. There were hellish moments, but there were there were some moments of jouissance. That's a superstructure word. If I've ever heard <laughs> Frenchness is superstructure. Um, yeah, I'm gonna bleep that. Um, so while you three listened to that podcast, what I did was took an edible that was probably a little too strong for me, and then watched all three of the Dasha Necrosova movies in a row. <laughs> And then afterward, realize how hurt and traumatized oh my God. I was. And also, my roommate the next morning, just randomly, who watched, sort of watched them with me, was like, is she okay? Um, You're like, no, she's not okay. And no, the answer is no. She's not okay. Just like crawling on the floor. Okay. Like, 
but that's because of capitalism. Oh my god, save so Dasha. It's fine because we're all like her. Um, oh, that made me really sad. We just we just have to watch. She's just forcing us to watch. What if I don't want to be saved? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so you watched my movies how were they you didn't like them so i watched i did the the dasha necrosova cinematic experience which is get high and hate yourself and then regret it oh so you did like them mm, i'm not surprised <laughs> before i like really like you know pull nietzsche out and like do some like serious scholarship um i want to uh just like explain what this experience was like because you know i you you all watched wobble palace and will i believe you watched softness of bodies i watched parts of softness of bodies and i also i i actually i paid more attention to wobble palace because it took me like three times to get through it (laughs) i can i i like i watch a half hour and then i'm like yeah jesus christ (laughs) i like i have to like i have to like call family members and just like catch up yeah. with them you know <laughs> just that was literally one of the most depressing i don't even yeah. know why but i yeah, too yeah. like the next day i was just like i feel down man like i don't feel good yeah like, yeah. Legit. Yeah. yeah so okay so i watched softness of bodies first which is like the poet one poetry is so soft <laughs> like i'm soft and then like i hate it the worst and the best at the same time (laughs) okay so i'm gonna try and just explain the plot of this movie so we're in berlin which is like oh soviet union okay so berlin poetry um unwanted sexual advances uh but also i deserved it um and i'm sad there's a literal line and this is maybe where I related most to the film. Um, but Dasha said, I'm so fucking hot and fun <laughs> and I'm doomed. And um, I'm so fucking hot and I'm doomed. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, this, is, this is incredibly uh, uncomfortable, the whole experience. Uh, everything these last two weeks, I'm breaking character now. Uh, um, but... Like, this movie really was a, like, performance of a sort of millennial malaise. And it was a performance of a, like, artistic millennial malaise, but, like, Dad paid for it. And so I hated myself more for being sad. But also we're all sad, so it's okay. Softness of Bodies is basically the same film as, um, I don't know if you guys have seen that Lena Dunham film, Tiny Furniture. I think oh, it's yeah. Called. It's the same. It's like it's literally the same film. Like if you guys have seen that and I have seen that Lena Dunham. It's like but that that's why it's like their worst nightmares to be like her because they are like her. Yeah. I mean, it's almost yeah. like they're liberal. Oh no. Yeah. Oh god. Well, but we'll it get is, there. She's just like lounging around and she's just like my parents are It's all about me. <laughs> A line that apparently is in every single Dasha movie spoken by Dasha. Yeah, in the first 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tr- that's called a trademark okay yeah it's yeah. a excuse me in the business natty we call that a leitmotif 
Oh, <laughs> I, you know that I don't know anything about business. <laughs> I can't, can't, can't keep character for that. <laughs> you're in the, you're in the superstructure. Um, that's yeah. why. I'm irrevocably thrown into superstructure. You stay home. You don't know anything about business, Natty. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, this is so fucking cathartic, my my lord. Um, um, yeah, they reproduce their their pain and externalize it, and so we're having to deal with that. Um, but anyway, so then I watched Wobble Palace next, and I was really like, you know, I was really feeling it at this point. Um, and I was so fucking confused. I did not know what was happening. I this man who has no hair and then a lot of hair. And oh, he God, it was really bad. It's so jarring. Just every the crazy house. He lives in like a blues blues <laughs> yeah. house. I remember partway through, I was texting Max, like, "Am I supposed to sympathize with this guy?" And then, as the movie went on, yeah, like the lesson of the movie is like, women lie to you because we're falling into neoliberalism and they have too many options on Tinder. Yeah, because they're too hot. So he's like another incel they have to cure, but not an incel. But... And not a cure. <laughs> but he's a cop. He gets cucked. Yeah, like, he gets The cucked. whole thing is he's a cop. That's like, like he's referred to as the cuff boyfriend or my cuff boyfriend or my retarded boyfriend, yeah. like yeah. constantly throughout the film. But the one scene that she uh, like expresses empathy to anyone um, is that scene where like he's um exposed on the internet by that woman that calls him a cuff like and takes naked pictures of him by the tumblr radlib yeah yeah yeah, yeah by a tumblr radlib and then, and then um and then basically like the guy that's um cucking him like her i.e her like other sexual partner shows her this like blog and she just like is like i think it's sad and like that's the only empathy she has like for anybody in this film is like her boyfriend that she's fucking basically but like she really feels it though it's like really a lot of empathy yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so depressing the whole thing i wish my boyfriend was dead this is hard to watch i wish he was yeah. just dead yeah <laughs> no that is true she did say that yeah she says that so many times yeah and so like and like the name of the film it's like a wobbly palace because like the king and queen are like fallen and now the palace is really shaky. And it's, it's a like, shaky ride, guys. That's marriage. That's, <laughs> Enjoy yeah, it. That's marriage to capitalism. Um, <laughs> and so the Blue's Clues house has to fall down, but that is like because your lefty polyamory can never work because ultimately someone's being cucked because of univocity well and also that's creating scarcity because like Mm -hmm. if you have polyamory the problem i would say is that like there will be some people who are not paired with anybody like you'll run out yeah Mm -hmm. you'll run out of uh you'll run out of (laughs) negativity and positivity and you won't be able to do dialectical synthesis anymore and that what happens is is uh you get a genocide because then you have to exclude people yeah. uh welcome to german philosophy everyone yeah well i mean this this is why you need a social democracy that will like keep keep men from accumulating all of the women so that you know one-to-one pairings can happen <laughs> and then whatever detritus is left can die <laughs> <laughs> 
they did discuss a sexual redistribution theory in the masculinity episode that we listened mm. to actually <gasps> that doesn't sound dark at all <laughs> is there anything that's more like to the point of what this podcast is about than yeah 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 <laughs> tax to spend applying zero-sum distributional logics logics to social relations mm-hmm. like I have so many friends. Now this person over here has no friends. Yeah. Yeah. How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to pay for your second boyfriend? Exes are exes are inflationary. Like that's why Bernie <sighs> won Nevada because he didn't say you know the ex Nevada ex inflationary. Nevada. But um, you know, their critique of like family abolition theory and stuff is like. You know, the family is the only thing left that's not commodified. Whatever the fuck that they think that means, but like really, like they're <laughs> they like really believe the complete opposite. Like it's 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 the absolute flip of that. Like look, it's just a contract. It's not like commodification. Oh wait, <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. Maybe Marx's theory of law is the problem here. Anyway. Um... <laughs> Maxwell. <laughs> we just need to get all the capitalists in the room in a room and make them sign over all their private property to us. <laughs> the one big contract. It's the only place where you can really consent is in a yeah, contract. Right. Um, the only place you can be yourself. Yeah. That's you right. Know, it's, it's the only place you can be yourself. You and daddy. Without the homogenizing logics of consent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the homogenizing logics of feminism as well, I read. Like it's so oh. that's that's what I call mom's bitch sister. No. Just like, just like, put me in a room with like John Locke and let him lock me up. Um. <laughs> but but of course the family is not. I mean the family is in all different ways legally and in all of our relations is a part of uh, the private household is a part of production and it's all structured yep. in there together. With- There's no part of the input output structure of the economy as a whole that's not premised on creating a flow of goods that is directed towards a particular household and household i don't mean in like the reified family sense i just mean in the in the sense of people who do their budgeting together right Mm -hmm. and like who who habitually and routinely buy their goods like that's that's the flip side like that coheres with the input output structure all these things that are being created and like of course it's legally defined it has to be legally defined. Like me and my interns, you mean. Because everything in the cascade is legally defined. Inscribed in... as an analogy. Exactly. That's the shape of law, yeah. right? Scott Ferguson shout out we have every episode. So. We have to do one every episode, but we'll never let him on this podcast. Sorry, Scott. We ran out of time. We ran out of, yeah, we ran out of space. We ran out of space. We ran out of money, Scott. We got too polyamorous with our, polyamorous with our mentors. It's disgusting. So speaking of polyamory, I want to really like draw out this critique and like the difference between what like I think as developed on this podcast as like a zero sum theory of Hegelian contradiction on one side. Seichel versus Hegel. Top 10 anime fights of all time. (laughs) Yeah, my mortal enemy that is nevertheless analogical to me and not actually opposed to me contradictorily it, listeners if you if any of you have any uh like skill can you please like make a seho versus hegel uh, like portrait or painting just draw me okay i swear i <laughs> make it about me just make it about me 
Um, I be careful what I wish for, right? Um, God, <laughs> now I'm just imagining. Yeah, we do not want fan art based on some of the replies that we got the other day. I mean, <laughs> I literally had to block oh someone God. right before this podcast. Um, but okay, so like social relations are not zero sum and contradictory that then need to like come to some synthesis that like ping pongs dialectically through the world and through history right it's not like oh my so i had this one ex and like we did a bunch of stuff and like he hurt me and then oh i left him and then oh it's a new dialectical articulation of history now right (laughs) and 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 like oh now i'm in this and oh now he's gonna hurt me too like just listening to red scare um but but like we can think about like analogical relationality and the production of surplus in relation as a as like a primordial thing and like up and down the cascade as it, as Natty so uh, called back my crazy episode uh, as, <laughs> where I talked for two and a half hours alone. It was beautiful. Um, thank you. It was beautiful. Then he took an edible and watched three dasha movies this is the didn't sleep in between any of them yeah this is the uh crawled on the the... floor to his bedroom just like oh oh." (laughs) your brain on superstructure (laughs) but but we can really think with like whether it's romantic relationships or like friendships or even like dialogues that are critical or or uh perceived to be diametrically opposed none of these are zero sum right we move forward learning something or there's something generative about the interaction and even and this is i think crucial even through the hurt and through the trauma i think like this is something that i can speak from a personal perspective and i think we all sort of probably can as well you can you can grow, but not in like a fetishized Franciscan way of like, oh, well, like I only can grow through my pain because that's how I get in touch with like the base and like my fallen <laughs> objectivity. Yep. Um, the arrow has to pull back before it can shoot. Right. Forward. Not in like this, like you have to like <laughs> cut me with taxation before I can spend <laughs> to, to attain growth. Um, um, but in, in a sense that like we all are moving through time with a real like experience and experiences are complicated but ultimately there's surplus produced at all levels and really the question is is how are we going to shape that surplus in the future and how are we going to provision at every level whether it's through mental health care or physical health care or infrastructures for uh like literally talking to people over the internet like you know uh i think will and i met in person but other than that we four met online. It's disgusting. I know, right? Uh, it's all superstructure. But but what this uh, podcast is... I'm never going to find a husband. <laughs> <laughs> but what this podcast is, is like the coming together and we're, we're producing surplus. We're creating mm-hmm. media. And this is surplus. And and that's what this, you know, and, and that can be like, <laughs> we have a sort of metaphysical polyamory, but not one that can be reduced to sort of like a polytheistic approach of just like, oh, well, there's that God and that God and that God and that God. There's like a coherence in and through the differentiation that is necessarily not zero sum, which is why it's not Hegelian. And so like poly like stamp of approval, but like as a, as a sort of holistic 
analogical metaphysics. That's beautiful. Yeah, that was beautiful. Polly Pocket metaphysics. <laughs> no, but it is funny because they have a very cynical view. And, and I understand what that comes from, right? As in, you know, you know, we've talked about, of course, these different platforms, communications, whether it's, you know, the ways they're capturing your data or, you know, sending signals to the market, right, of your platform. But it's this idea that ne- all technology, all relationality inherently is like grabbing a hold of you and just... Uh, destroying you and you're silenced and nothing and Force. anything else is just like kidding yourself you're embarrassing you're a cock for thinking you could brighten someone's day and that was you know whenever you know you do critique because a lot of people have this idea of like the left has to be hegemonic like any critique is uh, reducing the body of the left as opposed to uh, the body of the left will rot from inside if it can't critique ideas because we are in a constant process of relation that's how things work like but they don't have an appreciation for critique and you come at anybody on the internet and either you're boosting fascists or you're clout seeking you have a competing product you have a you just want to like come at the champ and it's like well a boxing is fun if unethical (laughs) and b (laughs) no but but b uh yeah i mean that's how relation works I mean it is interesting to me like I've kind of came into your guys's fold through like a culture media lens and I don't have as long in MNT world but like you know it's interesting like how you bring up I mean it's like the most hot button thing to ever bring up anti-semitism right it's like really loaded but I really feel it just like whoa like people there is something heavy there when you're like just bringing up money like people I mean the conflation with liberal money is part of it right like oh, all money is liberal money. But it's like the taboo is really strong. It's like, oh, it's disgusting. You're a grifter. Just all these logics are just like really yeah, strongly there. I don't know. Because fundamentally money in the univocal worldview, all intercourse, right, all social relations come from outside us. And when money is reduced to essentially like you know a technology for bartering and trading it's a veil right money is a veil over barter it's you know a veil over chance encounters with the outside it cucks you right we are being for ourselves and we're cucked by being for others right and so we're we're acting against our own interests we're capable of being for ourselves but superstructure comes in and like tricks us and makes us be for others. And that relation can only be understood as fundamentally extractive. And then, of course, you have the historical emergence of anti-Semitism. You know, all of the European, like, Westphalian nation-states all want this story of money and superstructure coming from the outside, coming not from within what they understand as univocally a political body, right? Like the political social contract. It has to come from the outskirts, from barter, from, you know, these kind of alien logics that, that yeah, because they're not our own, it can siphon from us, but it can't actually create. Whereas I think what, first of all, the gambit of MMT, but in particular, this podcast is saying that like money is infinite right it's just accounting i imagine some new social relations and i record it by creating money 
and that signifies that like you know we've done some social provisioning but because of that money is not like a finite you know whatever it's more like speech right like it's it's an articulation because it's numbers right and because it's not bound to anything it has a capacity for infinite rearticulations and infinitely more social relations and this is precisely why we're not in this fallen world as max was saying there's always a surplus we're always creating a surplus and that that process of creation might not be sustainable to recreate itself as it is right now through time but that's not the same thing as saying that we've run out of a process of recreating ourselves and there's no way that we can possibly rearticulate an existence for everybody. I think there's conflations that people have because I think you could say, well, yeah, it's true that uh, sometimes it's difficult to access the power or agency to to affect legal structures or there's different places in terms of how it's provisioned now where speech is provisioned more re money to certain people right so there are all these so we don't want to say by saying yeah it's legally uh embodied and all these things is not to say that there aren't wild uh injustices in the way this speech of money is provisioned and organized it's to say exactly yeah to just cap off this little conversation before i think we read nietzsche i think um what's important about this and also as a way of like uh, distancing ourselves from someone like uh, Louis Althusser who would think, yeah, okay, the state is yes. a speech act. Mm -hmm. But it's important to say that it's not a it's not a univocal speech act of force, right? And so the softness, the softness. that is ascribed by Dasha <laughs> to the body <laughs> is precisely the mode in which money needs to be demanded to be acting, right? Money is what is soft. Money is weightless. And it can take the facilitating brunt of, of protecting and of protecting us from all sorts of maladies and rot. And it is precisely because our bodies are, are soft and precious that money softness is so crucially important because it's it it has a an analogical malleability and it and it it's it's weightlessness is precisely that which can protect us, um, and I think it's interesting maybe to think of then moving into Nietzsche, as a as a way of really seeing how Red Scare and then obviously like Nietzscheans Deleuzeans who are influenced by Nietzsche, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. The Jacobin will to power, will to greatness. <laughs> Sorry. Will to, <laughs> well, you know, it's a, it's an analogical. Uh... <laughs> I got confused. <laughs> um, but to think about like why, why Nietzsche ultimately like says we need to be the Ubermensch, right? Like, and, and why we need to be hard, like, cause, cause everything else is going to, is a projectile. Right, but when really we actually see that things are acting like projectiles that are not. And so I'm gonna read from Friedrich Nietzsche, our old uh, long, long time friend of the pod. Um, and uh, I'll be reading from his On Truth and Lies in a non-moral sense, sometimes translated to extra moral sense. And I'm gonna like read this section as a snippet. It's necessarily gonna be a sort of gestalt, but I think you'll get a sense of why I'm reading this and what how it relates to 
um, the Red Scare conversation that we're having. And so Nietzsche writes, as a means for the preserving of the individual, the intellect unfolds its principal powers in dissimulation or like, concealment, um, which is the means by which weaker, less robust individuals preserve themselves, you know, cucks, right? Preserve themselves since they have been denied the chance to wage the battle for existence with horns or with the sharp teeth of beasts of prey. This art of dissimulation reaches its peak in man. Um, so, you know, pretty clear, right? Um, and so Nietzsche continues, deception, flattering, lying, deluding, talking behind the back, putting up a false front, living in borrowed splendor, borrowed splendor, right? It's disgusting. <laughs> we can think about MMT and liberal money here. Yeah, or a certain group of people that Nietzsche is not happy about living in Germany. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they issue credit, maybe. Um, uh, <laughs> so living in borrowed splendor, wearing a mask, hiding behind convention, playing a role for others and for oneself in short, a continuous fluttering around the solitary flame of vanity is so much the rule and the law among men that there is almost nothing which is less comprehensible than how an honest and pure drive for truth could have arisen among them. And I want to reflect more on this, but Natty, you, you're groaning. What what do, what do um, you have thoughts already? No, I just, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like if, it's like Anna just did lines of this shit. I mean, well, I have to get in my dasha. Actually, I did uh, my college thesis on how Nietzsche was a feminist. No, I get. Did I already do that one earlier? But um, <laughs> I just couldn't get over. That. But um, but this sense of like she always is raving about Trump's tweets. She's like he's a master, and it's mm. like she has the same sense of like oh, it doesn't matter. It's like post truth. She's like I would love to do PR for Trump. Like she finds it hilarious kind of and it, and it's this total irony mm -hmm. veil thing where it's like well none of us have an exact perfect reality and like under this despair all we can do is ever dissimulate and be surfaces as if i mean first off it's the horror of materiality right like that it would be a nightmare to to have any splendor or mass as if that's already fallen right and and mm -hmm. And so because you're in this fallen sense of hiddenness, all you have is to say, fuck it and have arbitrary truths. And it doesn't matter. You're just beasts. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's where comedy, comedy and tragedy meet. Yeah. But then on the flip side, it's, it's they're still also actually acting as though or like, you know, they think that they are the gatekeepers of some kind of truth as well which they then have to enforce on other people. So, like, the truth is that there is no truth, there's no way out, we are, like, in this big, dark abyss, and I know that, and that's why I'm behaving like this. And the sooner you learn that, the better, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and it is really authoritarian in the way that it's enforced. Yeah. That's really well said, yeah. That's authoritarian logic! Yeah. That is exactly what that is. It's the will to to power which says well you just i chose truth and now you obey yeah. that is exactly what that is like yeah. whenever i hear a quote like this it always sounds like hobbes to me 
<laughs> like Nietzsche is very like Hobbes with like an attitude. I feel like, um, <laughs> because like, because like, what is he saying here? Right? Like he's saying that we have natural endowments of power, right? In this in this imagined state of nature where we could be attacked by anybody, and so the weak people with less power band together and like cuck the powerful yeah they lie by by coming up with like a social organization like that's the social contract one huge dick right yeah literally like like that's you know that's what the leviathan is i feel like nietzsche would read hobbes and be like yes i agree with all of this but actually like you're a pussy for being part of the social contract (laughs) Instead of, you know, enforcing your power in the jungle or whatever. The, um, the podcast jungle. That's when Dasha's like, cyberbullying is inevitable and good. We're all bullies and we're all grifters. So if you tell the truth about it, you're the real nice one. You're just doing us a favor by telling the truth that we all have to become authoritarians. And and on, on that note, I want to keep reading because mm-hmm. I also think this gets into like their critique, if you want to call it that, of identity politics. Um, and, and so <laughs> yeah. Nietzsche writes. Nietzsche and Joe Rogan talk about identity politics. I mean, uh, you know, that's gonna be a, that's gonna Rogan garner Nietzsche, like part 10. a million uh, listens for sure on YouTube. Uh, right after three hours after the Jacobin like will to greatness or whatever it was. Um. Uh, anyway, so Nietzsche writes. Speaking of, of men, right? They are deeply immersed in illusions and in dream images. Their eyes merely glide over the surface of things and see forms, right? Think of forms as like identities, right? All you see is all these like fake identities all around. Like, oh, you're a trans person or you're a person of color or you're, you know, whatever. Except for like only the real identities are the like the material identities. Like you are literally starving. That's an identity. Right. Because that's a that's a that's a thing in itself. Um, And so I'll continue then. Their senses nowhere lead to truth. On the contrary, they are content to receive stimuli and, as it were, to engage in a groping game on the backs of things. (laughs) Groping being a charged word. Um, Moreover, man permits himself to be deceived in his dreams every night of his life. His moral sentiment does not even make an attempt to prevent this, whereas there are supposed to be men who have stopped snoring through sheer willpower. That totally sounds like something <laughs> Jordan Peterson would just casually say, like, I decided to stop snoring. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, that, he's like, I cannot predict the moves of his life. It's like, so the, he's in Serbia in a hospital with COVID. What are you talking about? Like, what? Is, if if anyone like in Red Scare is listening, like Dasha, if you're listening to this, um, it's about you, so you're listening. Um, please write a screenplay where you play Michaela Peterson. Oh my god! I really, really want that oh, to god. exist. Like, I we had to like live in your all's brain for so long. Even just to show it, like a half hour thing, would be like completely satisfying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just anything, please. Um, so like, I think what's important about this, like, just like coming up full circle is obviously this is neither 
new or edgy. It's just like, oh, I'm being ironic and that means that I'm hard while the world is capitalism. Actually, that's what I want men to be. And I want to be soft. Uh, and I want to hurt. And I want the men to be ubermenches yeah. and sh- and show me their dominance. Because if, if they are dominant in that way, and if they are univocally abusive of everyone in their entire lives, then I will at least get to perform all y'all's alienation <laughs> and laugh about it as I buy all of my yeah. favorite things. Before I rot. I will rot soon. Um, right. First, I want to get a smoothie. Um, That's a lot of calories, Natty. Uh, I don't know. I just, it's going to rot. I don't know. <laughs> Nietzsche literally prefigured that line, right? Like he said, the living is just a species of the dead, like a rare species of the dead. And like, I, just because I, this line, I really like this line. I'm such a sucker for prose. But uh, to that point, Nietzsche, like at near the be- beginning of this essay, writes, after nature had drawn a few breaths, the star cooled and congealed, and the clever beasts had to die. So I hate when money um, congeals. It's I'm, so fucking yeah, gross. I, you know, I that's like rotten, rotten, rot. That's that's just the 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 broad Slavic soul. <laughs> um, it's in the gene. It's also like um you were just saying like their softness and like they them wanting to be protected by the abuse that they suffer from. It's it's um it's really just like i'm baby basically (laughs) like it really is like wanting to just stay in this like perpetual like infantile stage um yeah where you're just like running around seeking shelter you know what i mean yeah talk about projection like Well, well because there's only the phallus and the baby right like those are the two sides of being yeah, that's yep. my favorite lewis carroll yeah. poem is the phallus Yikes. and the baby <laughs> which is which is, which is fucking awful i'm gonna ignore so that one. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking oh of God. amber alerts fuck but i think i think we before we wrapped up uh you know, we're really enjoying ourselves. If you haven't noticed, listeners, and um, you should you should really love that for us. Um, <laughs> but I think we wanted to like drive home the point here that like, you know, Red Scare calls everyone neoliberal and like rad libs and like, oh, you know, they just oh, God, I, I, it's 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 so fucking exhausting. And honestly, they're just not even that smart. Like they do have a sort of coherent aesthetic vision, but God, it's stupid. Um, (laughs) But I feel like projection is like the whole Nietzschean vibe, right? It's like, you know, we started talking about this, like, yeah, you know, Malto and I have like a little Dasha in us, but it perhaps it's like, you know, you know, this, this sort of. Don't forget about me guys. (laughs) You're just identically Dasha. Yeah. Yeah, like forget analogy, you're univocally Dasha. Uh, you finally silenced me. <laughs> I'm just in shock. <laughs> yeah. But like they're what what they're doing is projecting neoliberalism onto themselves and then just per- perpetuating it. You know, the the kind of double irony of this is that they think of themselves as being kind of like Nietzschean realists against neoliberal, you know, dissimulation, like the fake neoliberal world. 
But, I mean, Twitter itself, like, is modeled on the neoliberal conception of a marketplace. It's like a, it's a real-time, subconscious, like, collective cognition that judges us and, like, doles out punishment and cruelty. And there's, like, a pleasure that people take in it. And in the same way that, you know, people get pleasure from watching the reality show person fuck up, you know, or watching somebody who made a, you know, bad investment lose all of their money. But then on the other hand, right, they'll call you a pussy if you don't take the risk in the first place, you know? So, like, the neoliberal subject that embraces the risk, embraces the fact that the world is danger and, like, has a will to power, and because they're risks, because a lot of them will die, we're not supposed to feel bad about that. Like, we're actually supposed to kind of enjoy that. Because that's like a celebration of of ourselves as risk takers. Like so there's there's on one hand they like they are like we are the only like we are the we know the truth of neoliberalism. But then on the other hand, like because they're kind of stupid, they kind of like take the kind of neoliberal dissimulation at face value as well. So they end up just reproducing it. So like for example, like back to the Gillette ad, like so they spend the whole time complaining about you know like how toxic masculinity is like good and positive and natural but then at the same time they say that because a Gillette ad is kind of tokenistically like promoting a neoliberal gender ideology about like you know like not catcalling and stuff then that is that is the reality that we live in when it's so obviously not not true like it's and it's just like it doesn't even make sense to me like they they open that episode about talking about how unrealistic the entire setup is and then they end by saying and that's the world we live in now you can't you can't be a man and then the other thing is like on that kind of like ritualistic like performing abuse thing like I wanted to talk about that weird Dasha episode last summer where she kind of like gave Paz de la Huerta her Instagram um so after like kind of building a name for herself on the basis that me too is bullshit you know the women speaking out against this abuse are sour about their careers um consent doesn't exist in this world um etc etc she 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 like that's the basis of her understanding of rape and sexual assault and stuff and then yet she'll she gives her like instagram to somebody who has who is obviously like seriously traumatized to talk about their trauma as just some kind of like cathartic spectacle in this really like mm-hmm. sadistic, yeah, bizarre way. Like, yeah. I think <laughs> we, uh, we're sort of wrapping up now here. I thought it could be fun though if I like uh, if I sang us out a little bit. Uh, so <laughs> I'm gonna do that now. When the dog bites, when the bee stings. When I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel. Oh wait, I'm still sad. (laughs) (laughs) And then I don't feel.
Hide your headstrong boy. Hide your 